0: Welcome to Intelligence Squared Business. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. Today on the podcast we're joined by Bernie Sanders, the senator seen by many as the leader of the progressive movement in the United States. He spoke to BBC broadcaster and author of The Gift of a Radio,
1: Justin Webb, about corporate greed, identity politics and the direction of America today. Here's Justin with more. I'm delighted to say we have a special guest, a really special guest on this edition, which is being recorded on the 24th of February in central London. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders joins me. Senator Sanders uh, began his political career in 1981. He was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. So. It's a long uh, career. It's a career that has, of course, encompassed twice standing for the Democratic Party presidential nomination in 2016 and 2020. It is my humble opinion that if he had won it in 2016, he would also have won the presidency. And I think our recent history would have been very, very different, but we might get to that. Uh, he is also, of course, not uh, entirely a member of the Democratic Party. In fact, he is not a member of the Democratic Party. He sits as an independent. He's the longest-serving independent, not just in the Senate, but ever in the history of Congress in the United States. He has written a book, and this is it. That is its title. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. Uh, and it's a book about his wider beliefs, but it's also a book that touches on some of those um, uh, runs for the presidency that I have mentioned. So, Senator Sanders, without further ado, hello. Thank you for talking to us. Well, thank you very much um, for inviting me. Can I, before we get to the wider issues, we, we have Ukraine so much on our minds at the moment, and in a way particularly in Europe, I think much more than in the United States. Um, do you have a sense of how that war ends? I simply hope it ends as soon as it possibly can. You know,
0: Justin, it is an unspeakable tragedy. You know, I think many of us, certainly Europeans, never expect never expected that we'd see a war like this in Europe, uh, the worst since World War II. Uh, and it is it is, was a war that could have been avoided I was involved a little bit in those discussions. Uh, Putin had concerns; they could have been addressed, uh, but he chose another path. So all I can say is, uh, you know, I think uh, we cannot allow uh, Putin's aggression to go uh, uncontrolled. Uh, he has to be responded to, uh, and I hope, as you know, I hope that it ends as quickly as possible. And I hope that the Russian people. Uh, stand up and and
1: understand how terrible this is, not only for them, but for the whole world. There is a real sense um, on the British left that, that they are torn, actually, about whether or not uh, the war was provoked by NATO, but also they are torn about the extent to which it is right to back Ukraine in all of Ukraine's war aims. Did, do you have that? Is there that sense on the American left as well? There is.
0: There is but I, I I think in this one, really, as somebody who has opposed so many wars of the United States, you know, you're looking at somebody who voted against the military budget. Uh, on this one, Putin did not have to do what he chose to do. Uh, so all I can say is I hope it certainly ends as soon as possible that there's a negotiated settlement. But I think we cannot allow Putin to run uh, roughshod over an independent country.
1: Right. And that does mean supplying the weapons that the Ukrainians say they need. Yes. Uh, let's turn to other matters. One of the things that I've, I found fascinating about your book, it reminded me of how close you came to the nomination. Not not only the most recent one, but actually potentially back in, in 2016 when you were running principally against Hillary Clinton is—is that a fair thing to say that you were? It is. Look, uh, when we started that campaign, Justin, we were
0: something like five percent in the polls, and uh, nobody took us very seriously. Um, Nobody thought that a candidate with my politics would go very far. But we ended up winning state after state and millions and millions of votes, Uh, and really through the political establishment. Into a state of shock, uh, but at the end of the day, when you're taking on the political establishment, you're taking on the economic establishment, you're taking on the media establishment. That's a tough thing to do. So we we lost in 2016, but what came out of that is an unprecedented uh, movement in modern American history of bringing working people and young people together to think big, not small. So we lost the election. But I think it is widely recognized that we won something enormously important. We helped change political consciousness in America and
1: what working people have a right to expect from their government. You stood again in 2020. Why did you lose that time? Well, that time it was kind of much clearer.
0: It was a larger field. I think at one point we had 18 or 20 too many for one TV studio on one stage, wasn't <laughs> that's it? That's right. That divided the debates in, in half. Uh, we won the popular vote in, in the first state, that was Iowa. Uh, we won a landslide victory uh, in Nevada, which was the third state. We won a victory in New Hampshire. So we won the first three states, uh, and that got the establishment very nervous. We lost in South Carolina, and then we have what we call Super Tuesday which is when a whole lot of states come together. And we were favored to win many of those states. Uh, And we ended up winning California and so forth. Uh, But what ended up happening is the establishment said, you know what? We better rally around one candidate, not split the vote. That candidate was Joe Biden. uh, And he won a number of states uh, on Super Tuesday and combined that with COVID and the inability to get out and campaign Uh, He won the uh, Democratic
1: nomination. You made your peace with Joe Biden very much, haven't you? And you supported him when he was Well, I did. I supported
0: him strongly, A, for two reasons. Number one, it was absolutely imperative to do everything we could to defeat Donald Trump and his pathological lying and his authoritarianism. Uh, And number two, at the end of our campaign, Biden did something which was rather unusual for an establishment Democrat. He recognized what our movement was about, and he said, all right, let's put together a task force of his campaign and my campaign. Let's look at issues like healthcare, the economy, climate, housing, etc." So we sat down with him and we hammered out uh, a very progressive agenda. It wasn't everything I wanted, quite progressive though.
1: Yeah, so when the Wall Street Journal say, as they did recently, Joe Biden is Bernie Sanders, they're kind of right. Well, I wouldn't go that far. No, Joe Biden is not Bernie Sanders. But what's the difference? I mean, if 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 Bernie Sanders had won in 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 twenty twenty, what would the difference be? And won the presidency. What would the difference? The difference would have been is I would have been, I think, a much more activist president
0: in going out around the country and demanding and understanding there are limits to what a president can do unless you have mass grassroots working class support. So what I would have done as president has not only been commander-in-chief of the military, but organizer-in-chief, if you like, bringing working people together to fight for an economy and a government that work for all. Uh, as the book talks about, what we are looking at right now is the movement in America, and I suspect in many other countries, toward an oligarchic form of society. All right? So what we need to do is rally people, black and white and Latino, Asian American, our people to stand together for a progressive vision which substantially improves lives, the lives of working families.
1: Is part of that vision an attack on the people who run the tech industry and their power that we haven't properly seen on either side of the Atlantic?
0: Yes. The the short answer is yes. There's obviously been a revolution in technology uh, in social media and, and so forth. Uh, And one of the things, Justin, that I worry about very much, and we touch upon it a little bit in the book, is I think people are underestimating the impact that artificial intelligence and robotics uh, and the explosion of technology that we're seeing is going to have on the workforce. So one of the questions that has to be asked, who is going to benefit from that explosion of technology? Is technology a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. If you can produce twice as much with new technology— I think that's good. But you should benefit as a worker from that, not just have the CEO of the large corporation benefiting while you're thrown out on the street and replaced by a robotic. So that is an issue we need a lot of discussion about. But it comes down to the fundamental issue of this book, and that is power. Who has the power? And I think in this country, certainly in my country, you're looking at a handful of billionaires who have enormous control over our economy. We have more concentration of ownership than we've ever seen in American history. You're talking about more income and wealth inequality than we've ever seen in American history. And in America, I don't know how many people in the UK are familiar with our campaign finance system, but basically billionaires are able to buy elections. So what you're seeing is more and more power in the hands of a few, and I think a lot of
1: hopelessness uh, and despair in, in on the part of, of the many. Are, are those things, particularly campaign, campaign finance, uh, being sufficiently challenged by The Biden administration, can they be challenged by one single administration? We could do a lot more. I mean, you know, without, again, going into all the details,
0: we have a Supreme Court, the reactionary Supreme Court, that uh, made a decision on what they call Citizens United, which essentially said that billionaires have the freedom of speech to buy elections. That's their their right, their freedom. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. Biden doesn't agree with that. Uh, But we have got to be aggressive at the state and local level to revitalize democracy and make it clear that billionaires should not be allowed to buy elections, that democracy means one person, one vote. And that means not only overturning the Citizens United Supreme Court decision, and we've tried to do some of that in the Senate. Uh, it also means turning to
1: public funding of elections. How radical would you be? So there's a, a great feeling on the American left, isn't there? That the Supreme Court itself is is illegitimate. That this Supreme yeah. Court, because of the way it's elected and and the the, the fact of the of the way that that the um, Senate is is set up, um, w- would you be a court packer or would you? threatened to go down that road, in other words, to appoint more justices until you had a Supreme Court that well, you felt was the right thing. I think there are the other right ways thing. to deal with it. The problem with packing the court, as Roosevelt
0: found out in the 30s, is, is so you pack it and the next guy comes along, he packs it and you end up with 89 people on the Supreme Court, you know. Uh, there are ways to deal with it. And I think that has to do with that ways that are constitutional. Uh, which allow members to rotate off of the Supreme Court. So I wouldn't be for packing the court, but it is an issue that has to be dealt with. I think one has to be very, very naive uh, not to believe that the Supreme Court has a political agenda. And in this case today, it is a very reactionary political agenda.
1: Can I ask you another thing that that occurred to me reading the book, and that's the kind of the breadth of the coalition, and you've referred to this coalition that that supported you. How fractious is it? Um, And and how concerned are you by the identity politics that some on the American left concentrate on rather than class? And you talk a lot about class in in the book. It put me in mind of Richard Rorty, the US political philosopher, I think is no longer with us, but read a book called Achieving Our Country many years ago in which he said there's nothing wrong with being on the left in politics. He was, but he said you've got to be fundamentally patriotic, actually. You've still got to believe that this country can be achieved, that the things that are set out in its kind of fund- foundational documents should be achievable for everyone. And the challenge that he made, and I think the challenge a lot of people make now about the progressive left in the States, is that actually there's a lack of patriotism. There's a real feeling the whole place is is worthless. It's irredeemably racist, irredeemably all, all sorts no, that's of things. No, that that You don't view. believe that, do you, No, don't? that's not my view, and that's not the
0: view expressed uh, in the book but I'll tell you what I think a modern day patriotism is and I see that uh, a lot in young people you know uh, it's clear I I lost the election I'm not the president but one one of the things that we did accomplish is that uh, we won the overwhelming not even close uh, support of young people and by young people I mean people 40 or younger and that is the future of America so these are people who are looking not just at um uh, minimal changes. Uh, they want uh, structural changes in American uh, society. So I think the new patriotism, and you see this in young people, young people want to roll up their sleeves uh, and get involved in transforming our energy system and having America lead the world and saving the planet. And We are working. Uh, we work very hard and will continue uh, to work very hard on uh, creating uh, green jobs um, and a Green New Deal, where we can create millions of good-paying jobs, uh, energizing, uh, making our nation more energy efficient and moving radically to sustainable energy. We have a major crisis in healthcare. We want young people to get involved to be doctors and nurses and psychologists. We desperately need them. We need more teachers in American society. We are, Our infrastructure is in deep trouble. We need more sheet metal workers and carpenters and plumbers. There's an enormous amount of work to be done. And the
1: patriotism of the moment is working together to rebuild America. I'm fascinated by that answer because you mentioned there uh, practical things and actually things that are very relevant in class-based politics. What you don't mention there is the kind of identity stuff. For instance, with critical race theory, this idea that actually there are power structures, particularly to do with race, but actually in other areas as well, where you have to acknowledge first that, for instance, uh, to be white, whiteness is now an issue for some on the American list. The idea that there are structures for, from which you as an individual, however decently you behave, can't escape. No. You, you don't stress no, that. No, I don't but,
0: accept that. Look, my experience has been, and I've seen that in the trade union movement, I've seen it in the youth movement. People can stand together where you're black and white and Latino or Asian American, no matter what you may be. If we are have a, an agenda that speaks to the needs of all people, I believe we can work together and accomplish that.
1: But so. it's your character that matters then, not the color of your skin. Absolutely. no.
0: We Well, when we talk about building a working class in America uh, and, and a working class movement, Uh, To a significant degree, it is a movement of people of color. Uh, Because if we raise the minimum wage to a living wage, which I'm fighting to do, it will impact uh, black and brown people even more than white people, although millions of white people will benefit. But the bottom line is uh, I think what we need and cannot allow uh, us to be divided, we need an agenda that speaks to all. Our health care system in the United States I know you have problems with the NHS, underfunded, it has its stresses. We have a system which spends twice as much per capita as you do, and we've got eighty-five million people who are uninsured. They have no insurance at all. Over sixty thousand people a year die because they don't get to a doctor on time. I gotta unite we want to unite the American people to say that health care is a human right. We pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. Our child care system is a total disaster. Kids leaving school, fifty, dollars hundred thousand dollars in debt. You go to medical school, do you know how much you leave school in debt in America? Do you don't have how yeah, much? Staggering some. four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 yeah. in yeah. debt. And we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurses. So what I want to see us do and what I believe we are beginning to accomplish, bring our people together around an agenda that works for all and have the guts to stand up to the corporate elite and the big money interests who
1: today have the power. But do you have— you have the guts. Do you have the power though? I mean, do you write in the book and and remind us in the book about certainly your first campaign um, for the presidency, for the nomination, where you're raising small sums from a lot of people? Is that the future of someone, whether it's you or whether it's someone in the future who comes into office with that agenda? Is that how it's got to be done and can it be done? Well, and let me answer it in two
0: ways. Number one, long term, we should have public funding of elections. People should not have to hustle and spend their lives raising money. Number two, um, what I am very proud of is that as a result of our campaign, and people said, wow, you can really run a credible campaign on small dollar donations, many candidates for Congress and the Senate started to do that, became less dependent on big money interest. So right now, and this is to me a note of real optimism, we have more strong, underline strong, progressives in the U.S. House of Representatives than any time in the modern history of this country. Young people, often people of color, stood up, got elected, and they're
1: doing a great job in the House. Do you have a sense of what—you're um, supporting President Biden, and I think you expect that he will stand again, and we all expect that he will, will stand again um, if the Republicans this time round choose a younger person, perhaps Ron DeSantis, perhaps someone else, d- does that affect the equation, do you think, when it comes to the Democrats' choice? No, I don't think so. I think if if Biden chooses to run, he will be uh, the
0: nominee. I think we should not uh, you know, Trump is nobody who's a little bit crazy or maybe very crazy, but he's not stupid. Uh, But I don't think he is their strongest candidate. I think it's possible DeSantis, somebody else, uh, could be a stronger candidate uh, because they are not carrying the incredible baggage uh, that Trump is carrying. Uh, One of the issues that uh, I think points that our campaign made is that Democrats are losing the support of a lot of working class people, significantly whites but increasingly Latinos and even uh, black workers. Uh, And what we are fighting for is an agenda that speaks to the needs of the working class in this country. You know, you talk about identity politics a moment ago. There is no compromise on racial justice, uh, on the fight against sexism, and the fight against homophobia. But where the Democrats in recent years, and we have a whole chapter on this in the book, have been weak. And people perceive it. They have, to a significant degree, turned their backs on the working class, whether you're white, black, Latino, Asian American, whatever. They've turned their backs. And we have to move once again
1: uh, to be the champion of working families in, the,
0: in, in America.
1: And you think Biden can do that? And in a sense, then his age won't matter, even if the Republicans come up with a much younger yeah, it's candidate. Not, age is not, it's not the issue.
0: issue. What is the issue is, is policy is a willingness to take on powerful special interests. Let me give you an example. Uh, We have seen in the United States in the last several years uh, an uptick in trade union organizing. More and more workers want to become members of unions. What we are also seeing at the same moment is companies like Starbucks and Amazon engage in vicious union-busting efforts. We need the president. We need the Congress to say to these companies, you cannot break the law. Workers have the right to join unions. We don't want to build the trade union movement in America because the middle class is continue, continues
1: to be in decline. That I have not yet seen, that kind of energy from the White House. I want to see it. Why a thought for before we end? How much trouble is America in? Because the, the, the kind of picture that we have of the United States is not just that it's fractured, but that there's this real hatred that has built up between individuals now and a movement, a physical movement, a part of, of people. Uh, you live come from one of the more peaceful corners of the United States, Vermont, mainly full of trees uh, and lovely places. The rest of America isn't like that, is it? How worried are you about the whole enterprise?
0: Well, I am. Uh, obviously, everybody is familiar with January 6th, I was there. Uh, it was a horrible moment, uh, not just you know on, on a personal level, uh, but for what it means in, in terms of where the United States uh, is at. Um, So, that divisiveness, that division remains, it's real. Uh, But this is what I would also say to people who worry about the future of America. Uh, On issue after issue, it turns out that we are not divided. On issue after issue, you find that whether you're Republican or Democrat, you want a healthcare system that works for you and not just the insurance companies. You don't want to pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. You want a childcare system that is affordable. You want to have your kid be able to go to college. You want to make sure that we're leaving our children and grandchildren a planet that is habitable. And what we have got to do is work on those issues where people are coming, can come together, uh, and uh, want real change. And that's what we're kind of trying to do. Senator Bernie Sanders, very good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Justin.